We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. The End Times Drama, number 9. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be reading, and they're really close together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we'll move into 2 Thessalonians after that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In, in this end times drama of westernized Christianity, the, there are idealism, subtle mindsets that distract people from the principles of Scripture. You know, I, I know I keep using that westernized Christianity, but I, I'm really hoping we're getting a hold of something by understanding what I'm talking about, westernized Christianity. Because as a western culture, we tend to attribute and look at scripture and look at prophecy and look at all these things and 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 everything that goes on and we attribute all of it that it that it focuses here in the united states when in fact scripture focuses on jerusalem scripture focuses on israel and then it blooms from there and so sometimes when we look at things and you know, Jan and I were talking about today, she was talking about the mark of the beast. I said, well, listen, you understand something. There are people that are worried about the mark of the beast here right now, but understand something. It's not going to start here. Now, we're good friends with that particular country, but, you know, I'm a firm believer that Antichrist is going to come out of that arena, that area, that somehow the Antichrist is going to be able to marry uh, Abraham's two sons back together where they've been fighting for years and years and years and centuries and centuries, somehow that person is going to be able to do that. But, I, you know, the influence that that will, it'll come out of there to here. The thing to remember is there's no place in Scripture that we can find that we're, we're affected by Antichrist, that we're affected by that. So that's another whole process of time, thing. We're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, you, you know, it makes you wonder if we will even exist when all this goes down. But there are distractions. Let, let me just give you some some very simple distractions that are are, are, are idealisms that are in. When, when you go to a rest home, not a rest home. When you go to a funeral home to prepare funeral arrangements you're, for the internment for the the when they they ask you, okay, we 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 went to this coffin, this and that, and the plot. Where where would you like the final resting place to be? You've heard that term. We've used that term for years, final resting place. And another thing that, that you hear that's kind of in the Christian uh, arena, uh, and it's really subtle, and, and I'm hearing this more and more because I started listening to a, a lot of uh, different ministers and preachers and people in books, how that, that we're, we're human bodies with a soul. Well, number one is this, no grave is my final resting place. But there's a subtle, and why am I bringing this up? These are just a couple. It's because there's a subtle movement in spirit to get us to, to, to think in a different forum than what Jesus wants us to think. He wants us to be excited, comforted, and peaceful and everything about the rapture, which is what we're going to talk about tonight. He wants us to look forward to that, but these subtle things have us thinking, okay, my, final, my dad's final resting place is at so-and-so place. My mom's final. That's not their final resting place. That's a place where that body is put so it can decay back into the ground, as the Scripture says. We're made of that dirt. We'll be returned to that dirt. At the same time, listen, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. That that sounds like it's double talk, but it's not. Understand, the reason that that body with a soul comes in is because it places importance on the body first and then the soul. It's very subtle, 
there are things like this all throughout Westernized Christianity. When you start looking, and again, you know, when all this other stuff started in our country and all this, people, yeah, yeah, you're a conspiracy theorist. And I know somebody's going to be thinking tonight, yeah, Don's getting over into this conspiracy theories in Scripture. But listen, it's very subtle in our, in our culture that revert us away from the joy that's set before us that we know he's coming and that's what we're looking forward to. So understand this. That no grave is your final resting place. No grave. There, and you're a soul that has a body, not a body that has a soul. And that's important to recognize because it's soul first and then body. So Jesus gave us hope that we, like him, that we're going to live eternally, right? We're going to live eternally like he does. He lives eternally bodily. We're going to live eternally bodily, but there's going to be some differences between what we look at now and what we see then. So we're going to discuss today the scriptures that talk about the rapture. Let's look at some scripture that talks about the rapture. It's the end time deal, end time drama. So let's look at, uh, so the Greek word for rapture is harpezo. And it means just like when you look at the Latin side of, 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 of rapture, the word rapture. It's basically the same thing. Snatch away, to seize, to catch away. And it's, and it's, it's a surprise thing. It's not a you were expecting to be kidnapped and then you, somebody kidnapped you. If you were expecting to be kidnapped and you got kidnapped, you're very stupid. <laughs> so this thing called the rapture that we call the rapture we do you expect that to happen sure you do you'd be very stupid to miss it if you knew you were going to be kidnapped and let's say you wanted to be kidnapped wouldn't you put yourself in the best place to be kidnapped sure it's the same thing here put yourself in the best place for rapture and and paul encourages that so uh Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 13. But I would ha not have you be ignorant. So here we go. We start, Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, asleep that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Uh, the Greek word for asleep here is koimeo. Koimeo. Now, there's, it's important we understand the difference between asleep and sleep. Because these words are used frequently in here, and if you pin them in the same mindset, you miss the meaning of the whole scripture. So, you know, verse 13, you know, don't, don't be sorrowful for those that are asleep as if they have no hope, because they do. That word asleep means deceased, deceased, dead. Don't, don't worry about those that, don't worry about if they're deceased, they're dead. You know, I guess all of us probably, well, not all of us. We've got some younger people here. But we've had deaths in our family, you know, immediate. I have both my parents. Uh, so what it's telling me is, listen, don't be sorrowful that they're deceased. If they're in, if they're in God, there's something greater coming than, than them being deceased. Ver, let's look at verse 14. I want to move through this because this is not really the crux of what I want to talk about, but it, it's, it's tied to it. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So now we have asleep, which is deceased. Now the Greek word for sleep here is koimesis. It means to rest. So the other one, asleep, is deceased. But then he goes on to say, now, listen, if you believe that Jesus rose, then, then those that are in rest with Jesus, you, you know, there's a whole concept here that Paul is using for us to understand something. 
Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend. This, this is a part we really you know, get cruxed into and really get meshed into, but we need to understand the previous part of it. And what he's saying is, listen, apparently in the church, the Thessalonian church, there were con- some, some people concerned. And Paul said, don't be concerned about those things. They're deceased, they're gone, but listen, they're in the rest, and they're in the rest with Jesus, so don't be concerned about that. As a matter of fact, let me tell you why you shouldn't be concerned about that. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. So that word shout, kelyuma, kelyuma, it means to cry, a cry of incitement. A cry of, there, there's, when I studied this verse, I got a, a whole new concept of what the rapture really is other than what I've always thought it was or was taught it was. So let's kind of break it down. It means a cry of incitement or a move to action, to stir. So that shout means there's a move to action, to urge on, to stir. So let's keep, let's keep going. And with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So the Greek word for shout was stir into action. The Greek word for trump here is not our president. The Greek word for trump. When you think of trump, what do you think of? Okay, the Greek word for trump is suffix. Suffix. It means reverberation. Reverberation. Now, that, what does a trumpet do? But but we look at this word as there's a trumpet that's going to be blown. But the word here means reverberation. Reverberation of what? Of what? Of the shout. It's a reverberation of the shout. What is the shout? It's, it's an urge, a move on. A, it's, something's happening. Verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So let's stop here for a second. So that, did, the, what, that shout, that reverberation, all that stuff, those that were asleep in rest, deceased in Christ, come forward. Now, <clears throat> let me throw something at you here. This doesn't say that what happens to them and what happens to us is immediate. It doesn't say they happen within a couple of minutes of each other. It doesn't say when they actually happen at all. That if if they're separate, they're five minutes apart, they're ten days apart, it actually doesn't say that. Something I want you to consider as we're talking about talking about this. So the first thing that's going to happen when all that goes down is those those that were asleep. The, the old, you remember what happened when Jesus rose out of the grave? That resurrection? Those, those people, of, I mean, there's saints of old that came out of the grave and walked in Jerusalem. So, you know, that's a, that's a forerun. God's very consistent in what he does in Scripture. There was a forerun to Messiah. There's a forerun to rapture. There's a forerun to everything. And there's even there's a forerun to Antichrist. Everything is consistent in Scripture. So, Again, verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So we're going to meet them in the clouds, and then we meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore we comfort one another with these words. So this is the thing that, that we, we call rapture. The word rapture we know is not in Scripture, but we understand the, the process of that word. So... Remember this, in, in Scripture, there are no chapters, uh, verses written. It's a continuum. So let's go into 
chapter 5. Let's, let's follow on through. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. That term, the day of the Lord, when you look it up, it's used in the Old Testament, and it's used in the New Testament. And it's used several times in the Old Testament, and it's used several times in the New Testament. And sometimes it's the day, the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's the, it's, it's the day of, of Christ. It's called different, but it's all in the same manner and term. And there's a reason for that. When I think of the day of the Lord, I think of the day of the rapture. A specific day, a specific time. But that term doesn't mean a specific day or a specific time. Day of the Lord means the judgment of God. Go to the Old Testament and read it and, and research it, and it's the, judge, it's the judgment of God. So when it says that we, the day of the Lord, it's the judgment of God. It's not a specific or called day. Uh, and whatever reference or subject or circumstance you look in Scripture, it always refers to the same thing. You know, I guess it's like Terminator Judgment Day. You know, that, that type of deal, if you've seen that movie. Uh, the rest of chapter 5 is as an admonishment. When you read chapter 5 here, it's an admonishment of Paul. And it's, it's for us to stay sober, be vigilant, uh, don't be asleep like some are asleep. And that word asleep there, when you look at it, those that sleep, it, 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 let's see, where is it? Verse 6, let us not sleep as others do. That word sleep there in the Greek means to be asleep as in taking a nap. But be awake. We're supposed to be awake. Don't be in the night, be in the don't be in the dark, but be in the light. All those admonishments, live in it, edify one another, watch, pray. He, he, in this chapter 5, he, he really pushes forward to us what we should be doing. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm, we're not going to you know, be sober. I mean, we put on the breastplate of faith, love, helmet, salvation, all those things. I mean, we can talk about those for hours. But it's just an admonishment to make yourself ready. Make yourself ready. There are many people who are waiting on the rapture, and there are many people who are making themselves ready for the rapture. And we're about to find out something that's really mm, tough. The people that are waiting on the rapture are the people who most likely are not going to make it. The people who are preparing for the rapture are the ones who will. And there's, there's, there's a reason for that as you read in this, as we go through. So let's go to the second epistle. The second epistle of Thessalonians. And let's look at chapter 2. The second epistle is actually more descriptive of this event of the Lord's coming. So as we look in chapter 2, think, you know, let's remember that the, the return of the Lord for his saints and the second coming of the Lord are two different advents. The, the coming for the saints uh, we call the rapture and the second coming where Jesus puts his feet on the earth are two different things that happen. So when he returns for his saints, we, we, we meet him where? In the air. But when the second coming, we get to come with him and watch him do his thing at the end of tribulation in Armageddon. And that's, when he, that, that's the second. So when he returns for the second time and he sets his feet on the earth, then after that he sets up the millennial kingdom, a thousand-year messianic rule. There's something when you look in Scripture there's two different thought processes in, uh, in Christianity about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. We, we read in Romans, the kingdom of God is not me to drink righteous peace and join the Holy Ghost. Uh, 
But when you research the kingdom of God, and there are those that believe the kingdom of God was when Jesus walked this earth, and the kingdom of God is now present in us, with us. The other is that the kingdom of God is actually the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign. And so when you go through, I'm not going to tell you which, we're going to go through Scripture, and then we're going to all decide for ourselves. Not tonight, but decide for ourselves where we think that actually is because why, why is that important? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you can't, you can't enter into the kingdom. You can't inherit the kingdom unless you're born again. All these aspects have to do with particulars. Remember we talked about dispensations, right? The seven dispensations. We're living in the sixth dispensation. There has to be a, in every dispensation, when it moves to the next dispensation, there's always an end to that dispensation with a judgment of God that moves into the next dispensation. It's never bam, bam, bam. We've talked about that. There's, there's a process of time. The same thing is going to happen here. There's going to be a process of time uh, that we're going to talk about, that tribulation time. We'll talk about the rapture tonight. We'll talk about tribulation next week. So, so there's that thousand-year messianic time. So, the discussion in Christianity is how and when this all takes place. When does this go down? When does this rapture thing go, go down? So let's just look at chapter 2, verse, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. It's critical that we understand what he's talking about here. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at Matthew 24, remember we looked in 20, Matthew stayed there for quite a while. Matthew 24, 31. This is what Jesus said, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and you look at that, it's the reverberation, and they, sh and they shall gather together. See, Jesus references the same gather together that Paul references here, his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. So we understand this process that he's beginning to talk about is the process we know as rapture. I got some looks. No? Following me? No? Okay, so verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Here we now go, the day of Christ. What is that? He's not talking about a specific day. He's talking about a judgment. Now, when was our judgment taken? On the cross. So when the rapture happens, what judgment will that be? Because here's the thing about the word judgment that we have to look at in Scripture. Just as all judgments is a, is a presentation of facts and a, and a pronouncement of a verdict, that's a judgment. I'm sorry? Decision. It's a decision. And so we look at judgment as, okay, God says, you did this, bam, but... The, the, what happens if somebody's convicted of murder there's another part of this trial what is it sentencing so judgment and sentencing are not the same thing judgment renders the verdict the decision and then the sentencing is based on the judgment rendered and so understand that at the rapture there is a judgment that happens and as at, at the rapture, there is a place that we go to be with him. There's a, there's a thing called the judgment seat of Christ that comes into play. 
And so understand that our judgment or there's the decision or the rendering verdict that Jesus gives us at the judgment seat is for the deeds that we've done, the things that we've performed as Christians. So when you look in the judgments, well, a lot of times we think of three judgments when there's actually five. There's actually five judgments. But we all, all our lives have pretty much just heard three. So we know there's a judgment seat. There's a judgment of the nations that a lot, a lot of times you don't hear about, which we will talk about in a future, just to get your mind going here. And I hope I'm not putting too much in a circle here, Bishop smiling, so I probably am. So the, the day of Christ or that day or the day, when it says the day of Christ or that day or the day of the Lord, it's speaking of judgment, the judgment of God. It's, it's all, through, all through Scripture. Verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So let's kind of break down the Greek word for falling here. Let's, let's look at it. So that day, what day? The day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? It's that judgment. Will not come, except there come a falling away first. The word falling apostasia falling apostasia means to defect from the truth to fall away to forsake and so there's going to come a defection from the truth now if you're fighting for your country and you're fighting another enemy and you decide to go on the enemy side what does that mean when you defect what does that mean you're a traitor you trade this for that so what's going to happen? One of the things that signals this thing that we call rapture, this particular judgment, is that there will be those that defect from the truth. Not, not Christianity, but from the truth. Not, boy, I'm, I'm going to have to be careful there. Not all Christianity is the truth. Can I say it that way? And Do you understand what I'm saying? Not all Christianity is the truth. All the truth is the truth. But there's a lot of untruth in Christianity. That's hard to say, and it's sometimes dangerous to say, and some people don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. There are things that are being taught. There are doctrines that are being presented as Christian doctrines. And what does it mean to be a Christian? They were first called Christians in Antioch. Why were they called Christians? Because they were what? Disciples of Christ. And so that means if you're a disciple, then you are after the discipline of Christ. That means that you follow his teachings. So whatever teachings Jesus taught, there's going to be a defection from those teachings. Now, we see that in the Christian movement huge today because there, there are some simple things, and I'm not going to go through it because they're like candy sticks to us. There are some simple things that are in Scripture that are very obvious that the majority of Christianity has defected from. They don't believe it. They don't believe it's necessary. They, don't, they, don't, they just don't believe it. So that great word falling, apostasia, it means to defect, fall away, forsake. So before the gathering together that he talks about here, there's going to be a defection, a forsaking of the truth that will happen. What, what does that mean? That means that people are just going to fall away, going to leave truth. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Since Jesus is the Word incarnate, he is the Word incarnate, to defect from his Word is is to defect from the truth. It's to fall away. So that man of sin, let's, let's keep going here because I, I can get bogged down here too. That man of sin is a specific individual. It's, 
when that, that man of sin is revealed, the Greek word for e- re- revealed is apok al oop. Apok al oop. So you have to put it all together and you can say the word correctly. It means ruin or loss, damnable destruction. So there is a, an individual that brings ruin and loss, damnable destruction. So let no man deceive you by any means. That day shall not come until there comes people who are going to leave the truth and that man of sin being revealed, the son of perdition. And, and so, again, reveal. The word revealed itself means to actually, the actual definition in the Greek is to take the cover off. That's the actual definition. To take the cover off. So this person is going to be covered by something and is going to be revealed at some point. The cover is going to open up. The cover it's going to, it's going to reveal. It's going to disclose who he is. So, verse 4. Who oppresseth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this person who's bringing all this damnable stuff and all that's going to be revealed, we know who this person is, right? You know, okay, Bishop's been teaching on him for several weeks. <laughs> we know who this person is, is, but this person will be in place but not revealed. Understand that there, there comes a point when this person is, in, is put in the correct place. And here's the crazy thing about this, y'all. This began right after Jesus left. All of this stuff began right after Jesus left. This has been going on for centuries. This is coming into play. Remember we talked about the generation? And a lot of people think the generation is my dad's generation or is it my generation? When the word generation that is used means a revolution of time. Well, when you read this here, you find the same thing. This revolution of time. So far, it's been 2,000 years. When this revolution of time happens, this is the generation that sees the, the coming of the Son of Man. Remember Jesus spoken about that? So, so in his particular generation that he lived in, they didn't see that, right? Because he wasn't speaking about their particular generation, that 70 years or whatever you want to call it. But that revolution of time where all this stuff began to take place and began to mold itself to come down to this final deal called the rapture. So, virtually, the Greek word for opposeth means to, to be adverse to. I think it's pretty, pretty easy to understand. This son of ruin and destruction is literally sets himself up as God in the temple of God. Now, let me stop for a second because when we think of the temple of God, what do you think? You think of the temple that's rebuilt, all this. But when you look at the Greek word for temple here, the Greek word is parabiana. It means to go contrary to, to violate a command. It's not talking about the physical temple. It, it The word... P-A-R-A-B-A-I-N-O. That's the word that, that Paul uses here. It means to go contrary to. So when you look at it and read it there, so that he, as God, setteth in the contrary of God. Now, that makes a little more sense because that's what he's doing. He's setting himself up in contrary to who God is. But he wants to be worshipped as God. Now, how, how did this all start? Remember what Satan did. He... He wanted to do the exact same thing, and that's what he's doing here because he's been repetitive for thousands of years. He wants to come to that place. He didn't want to take God's place. You understand that, right? Satan didn't want to take God's place. He wanted to be as him, like him, and worshiped like him, like be side, arm in arm, side by side, worship me like you worship him. He wasn't trying to overthrow God. 
He wanted to be worshipped like God. And so that's important to understand because this Antichrist thing, you, 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 I've tried in my mind for years to understand why the Jews would fall for this, and now I understand it, why they're going to fall for this until he decides to get it in, in the middle of the, to it, uh, the three and a half years of tribulation in the middle. He says, okay, everybody comes now and worships me. That, that's, that, and again, that's what we're, what we're discussing here. So verses 5 and 6. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. So there's a withholder or something that's withholding, so that there's a time, there's a frame that he's going to be revealed. There's a place, there's an event, there's something, he's going to be revealed. So verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. So let's just kind of, the Greek word for mystery, and you've heard, uh, Bishop used to teach about this mysterian the Greek word for mysterian it means secret or silent secret or silent it's kept secret it's kept silent so the thing that's kept secret or silent is this mystery of iniquity so what is iniquity the Greek word is an anomia it means illegality or a violation of law illegality or a violation of law wickedness so in secret in silence this illegality or violation of law has been taking place to where it comes to a point where he's going to set himself up as the one that's set to be worshipped like God, and that's illegal. It's an illegality. It's a violation of the very law of God. It's all being prepared, have been, been prepared. It's been going on for a long time. And it's, again, uh, won't go over the generation thing again. Just, just understand that this revolution of time is this period of time that's been going on. We call it grace age, church age. That's the revolution of time. So each revolution of time and each dispensation has an ending. There's a point of ending in it, the point that it's over. And so we, we, I, I'm not going to go into the revelation part because, again, that's a little later. But we see in Revelation... This very event that's happening, it's, it spells it out for us. So, only he will now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Man, there's a, there's a lot of commentary on this one. There's a lot of commentary. The word letteth here and let, they're the same Greek word. So, only he who now letteth will let. That's the same exact Greek word. And, and it's K-A-T-E-C-H-O, katesho. It means to hold down, to hold fast, to retain. So only he that holds fast and holds down and retains is, will hold down and hold fast and retain. So at some point, the one that holds down, holds fast and retains, what's he holding back? The, this mystery of iniquity worker. Now, this thing's been going on, but he's holding it back. Now, this thing would explode if God's spirit wasn't here. This, this thing would, would get out of hand. God's Spirit holds back as well as, there, there's a conjunctive here, God's Spirit and God's church. One thing that we miss in the Scripture here is we are part of the holdback. Because God's Spirit was given to God's church. And so as the grace age or the church age is here, it's, it's the, the Spirit of God with the church that actually holds back this person, this this iniquitous person from coming into being to, to really blossoming and showing himself. So 
at some point, we have to be moved out of the way. When you, let's keep reading here. At some point. For the mystery of iniquity, always work. For only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Till he be taken out of the way. Now, a lot of times we look and we see the he and we, we okay, that's the Holy Ghost. And that, that's correct. But understand that we're part of this connection here of holding back. So, verse 8. If, at any time you want to, I only got a couple more minutes here, so. Verse 8. And, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Uh, the Greek word for wicked here is animus, and it just means lawless. It was interesting because it didn't just mean lawless. It meant not subject to Jewish law. So that, that really doesn't make anything to us, but it does to the Jew. And, and it will in the coming millennial reign. It will mean something. So verse 9. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So the word power here is the word dunamis. We, we've heard power. There's the power that's the authority and there's the power that's the dunamis or the explosive power. It means miraculous or miracle power. So this, this person comes after the working of Satan and has miraculous working power. Notice something that's very interesting. Satan is going to try to duplicate every single thing Jesus did. Even to the point that Jesus was killed and rose again. In the end, one gets killed with a great head wound, but rises from the dead. Tries to duplicate everything that Jesus did and everything that was about his kingdom. So the Greek word for signs here is samneo. It means a mark. So this person's going to come with this miraculous. He's also going to come with this mark. We'll find out later. Mark of the beast says, you know, we think of mark. That word mark can mean many things And when it says mark of the beast. One of the words is like tattoo. Another word is statue. There are different meanings, for, but the word here for science is mark. So the sign that he's going to project to the world is going to be a mark, something that they will want to have in order to be connected to him. The Greek word for lying here, uh, pseudos, it means a falsehood. The Greek word for wonders here is terrace. It's, it's interesting. I looked at because when I think of wonders, I, I think of uh, you know. Let me say something real simple: a rock following me around in the desert, giving me water. That, that's that's pretty wondrous. That's a wonder. The word wonder here in the Greek, T E R A S, it means a prodigy, and the word prodigy there in the descriptive part is not a the person prodigy it's the event prodigy an extraordinary or inexplicable event so he's going to come with some extraordinary and inexplicable or an omen when we think of omen we think of damien the omen but the word omen here in the greek means a prophetic event of significance so he's going to come not only with all this power and show all this power but he's going to have this un inexplicable this unbelievable Everything that Jesus produced, and even to the point of a prophetic event that would be significant, he'll come in. So, verse 10. 
and with all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not a love for the truth, that they might be saved. And this is where I've got three minutes. So this is kind of where I want to end tonight. The Greek word for deceitfulness, apate, it means a delusion. Delusion. That word comes up here. So look at verse 11. Now, verse 10, because they receive, let me back up. Because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So you've got to have a love for the truth to be saved. You've got to have a love for the truth. It's not that you just know it. You've got to love it. You've got to love it. It's got to be the most important thing to you. Above all things, love the truth. Man, that, 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 here's why this is frightful to me. I'm going to keep going. This is why this is frightful to me because this, this set of scriptures right here shows us the, the upending of the Gentiles, the end of the Gentiles. It's over for us, and it shows us right here. Let's keep looking. Verse 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Whoop. The process of Antichrist, we've always thought how the Antichrist is going to cause people to believe a lie. He's not going to cause anybody to believe a lie. Those that receive not a love for the truth, God is going to give them a delusion. He's going to sidetrack them. Now, listen, if, 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 you're, if you're deceived by Satan, you can overcome that. If you're deceived by your flesh, you can overcome that. But if God sends you a delusion, it's a done deal. You'll never overcome it. That, that's very frightening to me. Uh, the word delusion here, plan A, it means fraudulent. Or God's going to have these people who did not receive a love for the truth to, to just believe this fraudulent thing. So how would that happen? Well, God can just speak it or snap it or whatever. These people, this is a scary thing to me. These people are connected to God in some way or another because he causes them to not, they've, they've got... They've heard the truth. They've been exposed to the truth. They know what it is. Otherwise, how could they believe it or not believe it? So the truth has been exposed to them. But if you don't love the truth and don't know the truth, if you back away from the truth, as it says the falling or the stepping away, then, then the expression is here, these people are going to believe they're in the truth. They're going to believe a delusion that they're in the truth when in fact the, the, the word delusion here in the Greek, means fraudulent or astray. They will just be led astray. Now, if it's some obnoxious, I'm a Christian, and I believe the truth, and I decided to go into witchcraft, that, that's a little, you know, I could look at that and go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, I messed up here. But if I'm in a position where I think I'm in the truth, but I'm not, that, that is a very frightful thing to me. That, that's why we study to show ourselves approved. That's why, and listen, Scripture isn't meant to scare us. It's meant to alarm us, and that's two different things. If, if something's going to happen to you, if you're going to walk out in the street and somebody sees it, they're going to alarm you. They're going to warn you. Stop, stop, stop. They're not trying to scare you. They're warning you of impending. And so this verse brings us back to those who left the church, who strayed from the truth, who received not a Love for the truth. See how important truth really is? I mean, we talk about that in this church a lot, don't we? The truth. It's important to not just know the truth, but to love it. It's, it's, it, it, 
it is those who during this time of grace, the dispensation that he's talking about here is this time of grace that we live in. And people have the opportunity to love truth and have truth. And they decide that truth is what they want it to be, not what God says it to be. That's a scary thing. But when you look across Christianity today, especially in the Western culture, you see a vast array, a vast array of Christianity. And it can't all be right because there's conflict in it. So there has to be a truth, and we have to find that truth and understand that truth and just fall in love with it. No half-truths, are there? There's no half-lies either. It's either all a lie or all the truth. So let me end with this. This will be the time of the end of the Gentiles, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week because we're going to talk about getting into the tribulation period. This will be a time of the end of the Gentiles. The end of the Gentiles comes because they've been. there's a delusion now. He's about to come. All these things we just talked about have to happen. And the final result is, now how long has this been going on? 2,000 years? But there's a final result of it where as, as, as the Gentile times, we, we won't have that access that we have. We won't have the access. Two things, two things. When the Holy Spirit fell as fire, the Holy Spirit never left. When the Holy Ghost was given, it's given for this age called the church or grace age. And now this, now God writes his laws upon our hearts. That's part of what the Holy, but the Holy Ghost has, has never left. The Holy Ghost is present. Okay. We're going to talk about that during the tribulation. Because here's, here's the question that you're asking, and I understand why you're asking it. But, but let's, just go, let's just go back to what the Scripture just said. For God shall send them a strong delusion. The, as many people as you witness to that we think, man, if they don't make it, at least they'll know what the deal is. They're going to be in delusion. They're going to be in delusion. Okay, let me... I'm just going to read you what the book says. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Who's them? Them that receive not a love for the truth.
Yes, yes. When the rain started, everybody that wasn't on that boat knew they should have been on that boat. Yeah. But all of them perished. If you can't live for God in this generation, you won't live for God during the great tribulation. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody lives for God in fear, right? Right. No, no, no Christian lives for God in fear. Right. Nope, nobody. There, there. You know, I just want to throw this out. I don't have time to go into it, but God, there are three things: there's sin, there's transgression, and there's iniquity. iniquity. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us. You cannot confess a transgression. Right. You cannot confess an iniquity. He was wounded for our transgression and bruised for our iniquities. Each of those things have to be dealt with in a different manner. And I encourage you to study the Bible, study the scripture, and see how a person is supposed to address those three things. Because we lump them all together. Yeah. You know, one sin is like any other sin. Well, that's true about sin, but it's not true about transgression. Right. And it's not true about iniquity. Right. There's a, and, and again, <laughs> the deception of the devil is to have us believe there's always going to be another shot. Like, you know, I, I know I need to do this today, but I'll do it tomorrow. You, you, there's no guarantee for that tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I read something about that this other, the other day about the several different raptures and a rapture of this group and a rapture of that group. And But we'll, we'll get into tribulation because the tribulation, again, remember, this is not a bam, bam, bam thing. This is a revelation revolution of time and, and it spends a time frame that's why there's seven years of tribulation it spends a time frame but there is an end to dispensation and so if one dispensation ends and another one starts we need to find out when this one ends and just because it ends here doesn't mean that's when it ends for us because the 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 rain or the the trouble of the rain or the destruction of the rain ended for noah when he started building the boat, when he got it all together and he got in it, the rain still came, but it ended for him seven days prior. He didn't have to worry about being destroyed by the rain. That, that, that ended. But for the rest of those people, seven days later, and again, they're types and shadows. And so God always, and we'll see in the scripture next week, God always, he doesn't call us to wrath. He doesn't call us to the the. The, the, not just the verdict, not just the judgment, but the punishment. He didn't call us to that because he took that for us. And so when you go back to the Old Testament, God always makes a way for his people. But then nobody, and Sodom and Gomorrah, even though there were those that heard, not just Lot and his family, angels didn't just speak to them. But no, those that hurt still, they, they were still destroyed, all of them. And they didn't have another chance. You know, one of the things that, occurs in our culture that's creeping in the church is we try to do away with consequences of a decision yeah of a choice every every decision every choice has a consequence mm -hmm. good or bad good or bad yeah and and you know we, we 
we don't want people that we love and that we care about to be lost. Right. But in spite of all, you know, the thing about as much as you don't want it, think about how much God doesn't want it. Right. The depth of his love yeah. and, and what it's going to affect in his heart when he has to turn them over, you know, hell hath enlarged itself. God intended hell only to encapsulate Lucifer and his fallen angels. Mm -hmm. But hell has had to enlarge itself, itself since that time because there's people that have chosen. You make a choice to go to hell. Right. You have to make a choice to be saved, and you have to make a choice to be damned. And, and we just cannot imagine that any clear-thinking person would make that choice, but they make it every day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're going to fall, but it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late, right? It, it, I, I think part of the thing that we miss here is if God gives a strong, it says a strong delusion. What is a delusion? No, not, they're not deluded. They're the word means to stray from, or it, it's fraudulent. The word means fraudulent. So in their mind, what they believe now is fraudulent. They can't even believe or understand. They missed it. I, I personally don't. Th I think the strong delusion from God is that they won't, you know, and even if they could understand, they would fall, you know, were there those that cried out to Noah in the boat? I, I don't know. I know that Noah didn't stand on the boat and dance. Look like we, we made it and you didn't. He didn't celebrate. I, I'm quite sure that he, they cried. I'm quite sure they had, were heartbroken to see all these people that they knew all their lives being destroyed you know so yeah it's the hard thing is here's my thing i think of my immediate not like you i think of my immediate family that's not right with god and i think now how they know what's how to get right with god they're just not doing it it goes back to what bishop just said god gave us free will for a reason to make a decision to either fall in love with him or not and we have to live right we don't we don't die with it. We live with it. I mean, it, it's why parents. It's hard. Parents have to have a deep sense of obligation about their children before they reach the age of accountability, because the scripture said the believing wife can sanctify her children, else they were unclean, but now they are holy. Mm -hmm. And and you know there were children in the days of Noah. That perished. Yeah. That perished. There were children in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Gomorrah that perished because of the choice of their parents. Yeah. That's hard. Y'all listen. What we're talking about here is hard. But you know what? It's because we live in grace that, that, that God's giving us the opportunity to realize and understand and do what we should be. You know, a lot of us take for granted our calling. We take it for granted. Yeah. We misuse it. We or we don't use it. And we use grace to to 
cover up our, our failures and our mistakes, which it does that. But Paul found another aspect of grace when he found this messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, and he prayed for God for deliverance from it. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, which meant that I, in, in the power of the Spirit in your life, I've given you the ability to live with that in your life, yet overcome it. And there's some things that you just have to live with. Yeah. Everybody has their own ladder down to hell. You just have to live with it. But live there's it, a grace. Living for God. You remember Alan Oggs. <laughs> but you got to have the want to. Yeah. This guy was like, had a hard life. Physically had problems. And he just wrote a book. You gotta have, he, he progressed past his own problems. And it's the same thing we're talking about here. Realize that there are going to be things that you're going to be pressed with all your life. But you got to have the want to. That's what the love of, for God is. you got to have the want to. Here's the problem. You can't make somebody else have the love for God. And that's where we have emotional problems and we have issues and we don't want to believe. that. I mean, all of us are like, listen, you're not alone in the boat. All of us want to think a particular thing and an, another opportunity. It's just the problem is the Scripture doesn't allow for that. And what we have to do is believe in Scripture. And if we believe... If I really believe, let me, let me just ask you a question. If you, cause, cause if you really believe there's a lake of fire, do you really believe there's a lake of fire? You know what the lake of fire is? It's that last judgment when those stand, people stand before God and he opens the book of their life and says, this is what you did and this is what you didn't do. Those people, are, if you really believe that's going to happen, that means we got a lot of work ahead of us. If we, if we believe that, we got a lot of work ahead of us. God woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning uh, Monday and talked to me about getting in the Word. Now, I've been a student of the Scripture for almost 50 years, but I've made up my mind I'm going to read through the Bible every month until He comes. That means I've got to read 40 chapters a day. But I'm getting back in the book, and I've... I admonish everybody to get in the mm -hmm. book. Yep, because that's when you show love for something, you sink yourself into that. When you love a person, you sink yourself into them. When you love a game, you sink yourself into the game. It's the same thing with the love for the truth. You sink yourself into the truth. Sink yourself into it. I mean, to do it, you have to put everything almost out of your life mm -hmm. and, and take care of what you got to take care of, but all that time is spent in the Word. Pastor Don's thought, his process has been, since I've been studying this, Lord, what you said to Peter, just say it to me every day. I'm not praying that you don't have a problem. What I'm praying for is you don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. Because in your faith, you're going to reach out to others. In your faith, you're going to love truth. And that's our, listen, you're not in the church to be saved. Byproduct. You're not in the church to get to heaven. Byproduct. We're in the church to get one more in the church and one more in the church because there's coming a, a time when that opportunity is gone. It reverts back only to God's original group of people, his original elect. So, Sure. It's been going on for centuries. That delusion didn't start at this yeah, the, 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 this, in the last days and end times started centuries ago. Yeah.
Well, you just keep, that's it. That's just, your, your life, sometimes it's not what you say at all. But they see the continuum in your life. And you may never know somebody watching your life that you may never know what happens in their life and how they come to God. And you may know that until God reveals it to you later on. You may never know it. So that's why we live the life we live and love the God we love. An intercessory prayer just isn't about praying for somebody. It's going before God and saying, God, they don't know. Mm -hmm. They have no clue. I want Whatever battle they're fighting, I want you to bring their battle to me and let mm -hmm. me fight it for them. I'm standing. You've you, I'm you've standing. heard of people coming up and standing in for somebody else at an altar of prayer? Exactly what he's saying. Because they maybe they can't. Maybe they're so in delusion. But that doesn't mean they're going to be lost. It means that we can stand and pray. That means that we can all those things. That's what we're here to do. That's the purpose of me teaching this, by the way. The purpose of me teaching this end times is not to reveal when Jesus is coming. We don't know that. It's not to reveal who is the Antichrist. We don't know that. It's to reveal that we got a lot of work to do. But you know what? The work for God is so different than the work on your job. So, okay, I'm sorry, I went way over. So, Romans 1 is not just about homosexuality, y'all. You need to read it. It's, that's, that's the cherry pick we take out of it. But there's, keep reading down the chapter. Thank y'all. Listen, don't be disheartened. God is telling us these things for a reason. If God didn't have a reason to tell us and know that we can go and do, he wouldn't waste the time. Jesus said, Kick. if they're not going to hear it, he, God believes in you. He believes you're hearing this, and you're going to do something about it. The reason that we're in the family we're in is the same reason Paul was on the boat he was on. Because God promised Paul, everybody's going to be saved that's on this boat with you. You're in the boat with people that you have to save them. You have to stand before God and intercede for them. Everybody smile. Let's don't go home. Listen, as we go through this, this is, this is a great thing, an opportunity for us. So. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.